Our first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 62, starting to read at verse 1. You might like to read along in your own Bibles if you can. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendour in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest, till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies. And never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, Remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, your saviour comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. Our second reading is taken from Luke chapter 5, starting to read at verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. 
No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Well, we are all getting used to these new things, the new situations uh, that we're in, the things we're having to adjust to. Perhaps it's your daily uh, exercise uh, and that one uh, thing you're allowed to do that you're kind of figuring out what it is you might be doing or how you might uh, exercise today. Perhaps it's getting used to having to stand two metres away from uh, somebody and keep uh, physical distance from them. Uh, perhaps that's something that you're uh, working out and adjusting to. Maybe this week uh, your school's closed and so you're having to find out what it is like to homeschool or to be a homeschooling parent. Uh, I hope that is going well if that is you. These are all new things that we're uh, facing. Perhaps it's even just um, being only able to take uh, a couple of things of toilet roll at the supermarket, uh, whatever it might be, your experience of going shopping. Uh, new ways of living, new ways of doing things that are different, that are perhaps strange and unusual. And as we get used to them, of course, we may find that they become our new normal, that we adjust to them as we go along. Um, we are doing this from my home here. That is different and new. Last week I joked that uh, I was just into the job and I had shut the church and it turns out this week I have been shut out of the church so we're making even further progress. Uh, but it may become something that we get used to, it may become something that you enjoy. Perhaps you'll come and tell me that uh, you quite enjoy not having to come to church and you enjoy being able to watch it from your sofa. Uh, or perhaps even it's pyjama church for you, depending on how you started your day. And these are all things that we are figuring out 
that perhaps some of them will become things that are new normals for us. And we may well have forgotten that there was a point at which, uh, for Jesus, uh, for, for those who um, encountered him, he was very new. It was the start of something uh, new and different. Um, and that is one of the things that Luke draws our attention to. And what I want us to focus on uh, this morning as we look at this passage, if you have a chance to keep it open uh, at home there, is that Jesus was new and greater. He was new and greater when he arrived on the scene, radically new and greater. And he gives us three uh, um, scenes, three episodes that help underline this and draw attention to it. They're stories that are very much grounded in his day. Uh, and I'll try and unpack that as we go so that we can see exactly why they were so new and so different. Uh, the first is when he talks about himself as the bridegroom. Uh, and we'll see that he's new and joyful. Uh, secondly, there are some parables and some new wine that he speaks of. And he's new and different. And then lastly, a couple of Sabbath scenes, which will point to the way in which he is new and greater. The first of those is uh, the bridegroom. He uses the image of a wedding. Um, now, if you uh, follow along with me, um, uh, those who uh, were watching the religious leaders of the day said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Now, fasting was um, highly regarded um, in those uh, days, uh, particularly for prayer and to focus uh, um, and for lament as well. And some um, uh, key religious uh, ceremonies as well, the Day of Atonement. Uh, and the question that they're putting to him in this situation is they're saying, well, why don't you fast? Why aren't you doing the kinds of things that they are doing? And Jesus' reply is to underline that with him there, this is a new and joyful time. He says, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Can you make them fast while he is with them? This is the time of the bridegroom being with them. Uh, we have a number of weddings uh, that were planned and that are affected by everything that is going on. And you can imagine that's hard and we're working with those couples. And you can imagine why, because Everything uh, in us wants to celebrate at that kind of event. A, a wedding is a time for feasting, so you want to be able to gather and do that. And at the moment, of course, uh, we can't. But Jesus is picking on that similar idea. When the bridegroom is there, you want to be able to uh, feast and enjoy what's going on. Uh, the time will come, he says, when uh, that won't be able to happen. And he's referring particularly when he's taken away, when he will die on a cross and there will be that um, key moment in his life. But for now, he is with them. So, of course, they feast and they rejoice. The second of the, uh, the two um, episodes uh, is a couple of parables that Jesus tells. So he says to them this parable in verse 36, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one, otherwise they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And he's got this uh, image of cloth and if you, if you ripped a piece of clothing or you ripped your jeans or whatever it was, if you went looking for a new piece of cloth and, and you ripped it off that garment and you tried to patch it up, you, you'd make a, a mess of both of them. Uh, you'd ruin the new garment 
uh, but also it wouldn't fit with the old one. And he's trying to underline that he is new and different. What he brings is new and different, and you can't just mix him with uh, how uh, Judaism has been before. Uh, both end up being ruined. There is something new and different. And then he uses the image of wineskins and wine, and he says no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Uh, the image he is using is of um, wineskins then would have um, gradually over time hardened and become very brittle. Um, as, the, as they had the wine in them. Now, if you then took new wine, which was fermenting still, and put it in there, they would then burst and break. So you would ruin your wineskins and you'd ruin the wine because it would all go everywhere. So no, you need new wineskins for the new wine. And again, he's using it as an image to say, he is something new and different. You can't just blend it with the old. It won't work that way. It would destroy them both. And that Jesus is, uh, is new, he is different to uh, the Jewish religion that has, has gone before. Uh, he is bringing a new approach and a new way to God, built upon the old way. Uh, he builds out of that. Uh, Luke will point us back at various points. But it is something new, it is a new and different uh, time. And then there is an aside, um, if you like. There is something that uh, he just passes comment on. And um, verse 39, he says, almost like, uh, remember, uh, no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. It's as if he's saying, beware, those who are attached to the old wine will not like the taste of the new. Uh, there will be those, he says, who will just think, I just want the old way. I think that is better. Uh, I don't like this new way. And that is what he's trying to underline. He is new and different. So Luke wants us to, to sort of see, he is, here is Jesus, he is new and joyful. He is new and different. And then he is new and greater. And that's what comes in the two Sabbath scenes. And the first of them uh, happens uh, on a Sabbath when they're out in the field. Now, the Sabbath was key to uh, the Jewish religion. Um, if, in, in many ways, if you wanted to pick up on something that was right at the heart of that uh, faith, you'd pick on the Sabbath. There'd be a number of things you could do, but it was really inbuilt uh, to the rhythm and the cycle of, uh, of their lives. So when Jesus lands on this, he's landing on something which really would matter. And what he does is he's going to elevate himself. He's going to point to himself as, as we'll see in a moment, greater than David and even on a par with God. Now, in the first episode, you imagine they're outside uh, in the sunshine, like maybe you have uh, briefly on your one thing of exercise, um, and they're going through a cornfield, and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn, and then they rub them together in their hands, and then they eat the grain. Now, the rubbing together in their hands um, uh, is uh, what the Pharisees consider to be a kind of work, um, and so this prompts the question, some of them say, why are you doing what is unlawful um, on the Sabbath? Why are you working and doing this uh, on the Sabbath? And what Jesus does is he takes them back into the Old Testament and tells them a story uh, of David. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God 
And taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Diving back into the Old Testament, their scriptures as they would have had, retells that story. David was indeed, he was with some of his companions um, in great need and hungry, and so they used the bread which uh, would have been reserved um, for the priests. Um, and he knew at that point that their need was greater than uh, the rule that seemed to govern it. And so there is a basic point. Uh, of course, you meet human needs on the Sabbath, says Jesus. Of course you do. David knew that. I knew that, says Jesus. But it's about more than that, too, because you can imagine for a moment the objection that would come. As he raises that um, example, some might say, well, that was, that was David. David was the great king. Of course we could do it for them. Are you comparing yourself to David? And that is what Jesus is doing. By drawing this comparison, he's saying, I am greater than David. And do you notice what he says? Uh, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. One of the things uh, that the Sabbath was to remind the people of was of God as their creator. Uh, having created and uh, set the rhythm of six days and then a seventh day of rest. Uh, and it's picked up in Exodus when uh, the people are rescued and he sets in motion that rhythm for them. It was pointing to God as creator. It was one of the ways that reminded them. And here Jesus is saying, I am Lord of the, of the Sabbath. I am on a par with God, the creator. So it's a huge claim. And it's something new is here, something new and greater. And of course, if you were used to the old ways and you really liked the old ways, you would have big trouble accepting uh, that this was uh, the case. And that's what takes us into the um, second of the Sabbath episodes. So on another Sabbath, he's in the synagogue and he's teaching and a man was there whose hand was shriveled. Um, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you have to kind of get the mood here. They were looking for a reason. So they're kind of watching him the whole time now. And they're wondering, what is this, uh, uh, what is this man going to do? They watched him closely. Was he going to heal on the Sabbath? Now, healing wasn't actually forbidden on the Sabbath, but the Pharisees had added extra rules that made it so. And um, so it's pretty tricky for um, Jesus in this particular moment. So what happens? Jesus knows what they're thinking and says to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Can you see Jesus is introducing uh, this moment of uh, tension. Come on, let's get you to stand up. Let's do this in public. We're going to, he's not hiding this away, is he? And Jesus says to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And then he looks around at them all. Can you imagine the tension? And then he says, stretch out your hands. And he did so, and it was completely restored. And the Pharisees are raging at this. They are furious at it. And Luke's point is the, the Pharisees are, are so cross at this. And they are the keepers of the old. And so you know that somebody who is new and greater is here because the keepers of the old are just uh, so against it. 
They are really reacting to it. I was trying to catch the mood um, uh, in my mind and thinking some, maybe maybe this is a silly illustration, but sometimes when a new piece of technology comes along or something new comes um, our way, and there are, of course there are some people who think, oh, this is great, I'm really interested in this, and there are some people who think, I just, I just don't, I don't want it. I don't, I don't like it. I just don't, I want things to be as they were. And that's the kind of mood of the Pharisees. And because of that, Luke is just trying to underline, if you're attached to the old way, you're not going to like this new and greater Jesus who's come along. So here is, uh, here is Jesus. He is new and joyful. Uh, he is new and different. And he is new and greater. And that is what Luke really wants to kind of underline in this moment. Now, the early church, uh, if you think about it for a moment, they really took this on board. They embraced that newness of Jesus. Just think for a moment. Um, Luke wrote both his book and then Acts and the account of the early church. They didn't, of course, follow Judaism straightforwardly. Uh, they didn't follow um, all uh, that was in the Old Testament. Things began to change under Jesus. So the sacrificial system, how they approached the Sabbath and other festival days uh, began to change. They saw themselves as new, uh, new creations, new Christians under Jesus. Now, it's culturally, it's, it's huge at the time. Uh, and they weren't getting rid of the Old Testament, not at all. Um, they saw Jesus as building upon it and fulfilling it and that it pointed to him but this was his new era this was his new time and at the same time they were then radically different to Roman culture of the day so they're really carving out something that is very new and Luke describes the early church in Acts and and for them to follow Jesus was something radical and new and completely countercultural. Now, I guess the strange thing for us is that we perhaps don't necessarily think of Jesus as new and radical, if you think about it for a moment. My guess is often we think of Jesus um, occasionally as familiar, uh, dull even, uh, something we're used to, establishment. Um, if you're a, a pathfinder or you're a platformer and watching uh, Maybe it's just you, you kind of it's just always been there, uh, linked to your mum and dad. Maybe it's that kind of um, sense. It's just there, and you know what's what's radical and new. And why why do we forget that he is so radical and, uh, and new? Well, I guess it's after hundreds of years in our country where um, Christianity has been around. It has made it very normal for us all. Um, dare I say this? It has made it very normal and quite middle class in our country. Um, you know, can I tell you the question that really worries me, and, and I generally think about this at times, for me, I sometimes think, is me being a Christian much different to me being a member of the National Trust? Okay, now go with me, but sometimes I think, uh, well, we like uh, they have some really nice buildings, um, and you go to them. Um, and there are some, I get to see other people who are like me when I'm there, um, and they have nice tea, and we have nice tea. And you kind of think, is it, sometimes I stop myself and think, oh, are, we, are we like that? Um, is there anything that's really different? Uh, you know, I pay my subscription, I'm very glad to do so, and I get quite a lot out of it, but is that it? Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we can uh, find that Jesus is 
is not really as new and radical as we might think, and that's partly just that familiarity. And then I think what happens then, and this may help us process and think about some of the times we're in at the moment, because of that, we can let whatever is the latest uh, thing that we're experiencing, whatever seems most new to us now, it can then sort of really fill our minds and overwhelm us. Now, of course, at the moment, coronavirus, everything that is going on is, is everywhere for us. It is the new thing that we're experiencing and it's hard for it not to be um, filling our minds and really capturing our attention. And um, I've talked with uh, many people in, in recent days over the phone or, or on video conference and understandably people say things like, I, there are points in my day where I just feel overwhelmed by a kind of anxiety or I just begin to worry about this person or that person and I really find that that just you know I, I, it's hard for me not to sort of just only see that and of course of course that's happening um, and it's really important actually just to acknowledge how much what's of what's going on at the moment has just displaced us um, has just dislocated us physically in our bodies and in our minds as well it's, there's a real change something new but it it's not just COVID-19, is it? If you think about it for a moment, uh, we often let what is new, what we're experiencing most recently, um, fill our minds and become the thing that we're focused on. Um, that might be uh, you know, whatever next phase of our career uh, we're thinking about uh, or our school life. Um, it, might be, uh, it might be a new car, it might be a new house, uh, and the next stage of our relationship, perhaps what is happening to our children. That's often one that uh, can um, fill the minds of parents. And I guess when we've allowed Jesus to feel just very normal, familiar, he can fade into the background. And what Luke would really, I think, want to stress for us and say, look, I know Jesus isn't new to you if you know him. And if you, if you know him, you've known him a while. He's not new but he's still vital. He's still important. He's still, uh, he's still all of these things that he's shown us here. You know, some things do go out of date, don't they? Some things you, you get replacements. Um, your technology does go out of date and you get the new upgrade and the next thing. But Jesus, Jesus isn't like that. Uh, there's not an upgrade that you need. It's, uh, uh, there's, not a, there's not a newer version coming. He's not had his day. He's not just in the background. He's vital. He's important. And Luke, I think, would say, don't lose that reminder of his joy that he brings, of the difference he brings, and of the greatness that he brings. Um, I wonder if you were involved um, with the, uh, the NHS, uh, the clap for the NHS on um, uh, Thursday just gone. Um, uh, we took part, and in fact, our, our house group, we were kind of uh, doing a Zoom call at the time, and we all looked out the doors that we were at and it was so great it was wasn't it really uh, uh it was a, a, a terrific moment uh all being cheering and applauding everything that uh, medics and our um, nhs workers are doing and if you think for a moment in one way the, the nhs isn't particularly new to us but it was so good wasn't it to fill our minds and remind ourselves with that positive and to do that together now if we can do that wonderfully, um, for the NHS last week, how much more to fill our minds uh, with Jesus? How much more to remember he is greater than uh, anything that has come before? 
and he's greater than you or my worries. Uh, he is greater uh, than a pandemic. He is the bridegroom to take joy in. He is the new wine to taste. He is the Lord who brings rest and restoration. Let's not lose sight of that newness, that wonderful greatness that Jesus brings. Amen.